Good morning. If you brought your copy of God's Word, open with me to the book of Matthew, <clears throat> chapter 10. You're going to be looking at the very end of chapter 10 this morning, verses 40 down through verse 42. And our passage this morning is one of the more encouraging passages that we're going to see in all of chapter 10, um, which wouldn't be hard uh, when we consider that most of the teaching that we've seen so far in chapter 10 is some of the hard teachings of Christ, very challenging to, uh, to look at, to process, and to make our own. But in this passage uh, this morning, we're going to see some encouragement, and I think it's um, apropos that the Lord ends this section of the preparing to send out his disciples with a word like we see here this morning. And in, in seeing this passage, these few verses we're going to look at this morning, we see put in living color, I think one of the a demonstration of one of those paradoxical statements that we sometimes see in the New Testament, which is the idea that the first shall be last and the last first. Um, it's one of those principles that um, if you're one of the laborers who came in in the first hour and you labored the length of the day or you came in at the end, the wage that you received was the same. It's the idea that everyone who has a part to play in the redemptive program of God, regardless of what part that might be, um, how significant we may place on one person's part versus another person's part, that said individuals will equally share in the promised rewards that await those who are now living and looking for Jesus. Are we those church that are currently living and looking for Jesus? We are, and so we labor in such a way so that someday in, that, in the time of the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, we will rejoice around our Lord together. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul teaches a very important uh, lesson that I think really in, is um, something that, that embodies the simplicity of what Jesus is going to be teaching us this morning. He, we see there from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 that there are many different parts that make up the body. There's feet, there's hands, there's ears, eyes, uh, head, um, and it's made abundantly clear that every member of the body of Christ is equally needed, right? That, that they're all of equal importance. And the, the Apostle Paul um, makes this abundantly clear. And though it's a little bit of a, a long text to, to, to look at, I want us to go ahead and, and just, I'm going to read through this, maybe make a few comments along the way, because I think it's very important to set our thinking in this kind of a context when we look at the, these three verses that Jesus is going to show us in Matthew. So we're going to kind of skip the rock across 1 Corinthians 12, um, 12 through 26 together this morning. And um, as you can see, I don't have that up here, so this is why if you brought your copy of God's Word, keep your finger there in Matthew and just flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, beginning, beginning at verse 12. Chapter 12, verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 14. For also the body is not one member, but many. 
Now notice here in 15, if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it's not for this reason any less part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less, any the less a part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has appointed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. Verse 18 is a very important verse because sometimes we look at other people and the way they serve or the gifts that God has given them, and we think, man, I wish I had that. When in reality, God has given each one of you individually, perhaps to be a, perhaps you are an ear, perhaps you're a, 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 a small pinky toe on the foot. I don't know, but what you do is you mingle in, in with the body and you start serving with the body and you find out where your niche is. Where do I serve? Where do I feel like I'm really connecting here in my service with the body of Christ for the edification of the church? And it's important to know that within the body, no part is to, to be viewed or valued over and against another one as being more or less. There's equality within the body of Christ. God appointed the members, each one of you, just as he, notices as he desired. That's beautiful. Verse 19, And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, verse 22, How much more is it that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary? And those members of the body which we think as less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Verse 24, whereas our more presentable members have no such need, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. The truth that is embedded here in 1 Corinthians 12 is so important to understand for so many practical reasons, uh, which you could probably imagine. But ultimately, it lets us know that no matter what part of the body we are, no matter what part we are to play in God's plan in redemptive history, we, as the body of Christ, are one. We function together. We are on the same team, and we all share in the same promised rewards that await those who live their lives now for the glory of God. Whatever load the Lord has asked you to carry or bear underneath, that's what we were asked to do by our very maker. And when we do that together, collectively, we make up a body. We make up a team. I mean, imagine if your favorite college team this weekend went out to run the offense and everybody lines up, but there's no center. Everybody's in place. Quarterback's right here, but there's no center. Sometimes we forget about the center. It's kind of like an invisible position forgot about, oftentimes just buried in the scrum. 
But without the center, nothing else is going to take place. It's like, it's like a big toe on a foot. Every part within the body of Christ is absolutely it's necessary and it's needed. As a matter of fact, this very principle that I think Matthew is, that Jesus, that Matthew records, that Jesus touches on in our passage this morning, we see that even a little bit later. We're going to see that again, that same principle of the importance of every single individual within the body. We're going to see it later in chapter 19. Jesus there in chapter 19 in that context is letting, think about this, he's letting the 12 disciples know that they would be sitting on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, that's some pretty high cotton, right? I mean, it doesn't get much um, higher than that. But Jesus goes on to say that everyone, everyone, he says, who has counted the cost of following him will, in the regeneration, be recompensed for whatever it was, the cost that they gave. Now, they, this isn't to earn their salvation. This is on the backside of salvation. They didn't do this to earn salvation. They did this out of love and glory for God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They recognized they were saved by grace through faith, had nothing to do with it whatsoever. But on the backside of salvation, man, they counted the cost. They realized that it did cost them everything to joyfully give their life for the Lord, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, that in the regeneration, they will be recompensed, it says, 100 times as much. In other words, it's just, it's hyperbole. The, the rewards that we're going to experience when we get to heaven are going to so far outweigh what we think we gave up here on earth to build the kingdom of heaven. It is unimaginable what it's going to be like. So I may not be sitting on one of those 12 thrones Judging the 12 tribes of Israel, obviously, but that's fine by me. I'm just a part of the team. And together, we will rejoice and worship the Lord forever and ever and ever. And then in Matthew 19, 30, that's where we get one of these statements. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. We're all one. We're one in the Lord. And in our passage this morning, Jesus shows us this beautiful truth, I think, in its embryonic form. You know, these truths that we see more developed in the epistles have some embryonic forms somewhere, and usually in the Gospels and in the teaching of Christ. So if you're a, um, a toe on a foot this morning, if you feel like you're maybe just the, the pinky toe on the foot this morning, a passage like this should be really encouraging to you. Or perhaps you think you're just a, you know, the, uh, the ring finger. You know how awkward that ring finger is? It's like you just can't hardly make it do anything. You ever feel like that within the body? Like, what, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing here? I can't hardly grip it. I just, hey, a passage like this should be really encouraging for you this morning. Because no matter what part that you play in the body of Christ. God designed you for that part, and you need to just play your role as well as you can to the glory of God. Amen? Because the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let me show you what I think Jesus is doing here to wrap up chapter 10. Look at verse 40. Chapter 10, verse 40. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Uh, here again, we see the language of receiving. 
He who receives you. This language of receiving the disciples. We last saw this idea of receiving just a little bit earlier in chapter 10 when Jesus is first telling his disciples that as they go into each of the cities or into the villages they come to that they need to look for someone within that city or within that village who is worthy of them, who's worthy to share in that mission. Remember what it said there a few verses prior, chapter 10 again, verse 11 and 12, in whatever city or village you enter, inquire who's worthy in it and stay there until you leave. Now as you enter the house, give it your greeting. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever does not receive, so here's this receive language again. And whoever does not receive you, receiving the the disciples, nor heed your words as you leave that house or that city, shake the dust off of your feet. So we see from this passage here that those who do not receive the disciples are those who, in essence, are rejecting their message, which tells us that those who are considered worthy are those who did what? They would be those who received the disciples, as demonstrated by their hospitality, which was the sign that they believed in their message, which was a sign that they believed what they were preaching, what they were seeing, hearing and seeing with their own eyes. And in verse 40, Jesus makes a very simple affirmation that he who receives one of these disciples while out on mission sharing the gospel of the kingdom shows by their actions that they have received Jesus. I should have put another one in there. They show by their actions that they have received Jesus. And by extension, they, by receiving Jesus, have received him who sent Jesus. That's God the Father. After all, God the Father is the one who said that he was sending to Israel a promised Messiah. And so when believing that Jesus is the promised Messiah, you clearly have believed that the Father sent him. That's the way that would work, right? If you're going to come to the belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one of Israel, then you're going to believe the Father sent him. So I don't know about you, but this reminds me an awful lot of Rahab and the spies, the story that we have from Joshua chapter 2. The king of Jericho was told that there were some sons of Israel that had come into their land that night, so the king, you talk about having some pretty good um, um, intel that comes in quickly. Uh, The king sends to Rahab, asking her to bring out the men who had come to her house that night. Now, Rahab is identified as Rahab the harlot, so obviously she was accustomed to having, having men come to her house. So I don't know why in particular this was so noticed, but it was. And she says, men? What men? Remember the story? Isn't that great? Men? What men? And they said, you know, those men that came into your house tonight that didn't look like they were foreigners, they looked like they were the sons from Israel or something like that. And she says, oh, those guys. Yeah, yeah, I, I do remember those guys. Well, they did stop in, but they, they've already left. They left a little bit early. But hey, if you guys hurry up and get on your way about it, you could probably catch up with them before they get too far down the road. And so these, they take off and, and hunt for the spies. And then what does Rahab do? Well, Rahab says to these men that she has hidden in her house, she says, so now please... Swear to me by Yahweh, 
already knowing the covenantal name of God. Since I have shown loving kindness to you, that you also will show loving kindness to my father's household and give me a pledge of truth. And when we see Rahab for the last time in the book of Joshua, it takes us all the way to chapter 6, verse 25, and it's there we see that she lived, it says, among Israel, and she probably did that for the rest of her life. Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua preserved alive, and she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. For she hid them. She received the messengers in, and she showed great hospitality to them in the process. And then the next time we see Rahab, we saw her earlier in our own study of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, and how Rahab was in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. She's in the lineage of Jesus Christ out of faithfulness, of receiving, showing hospitality, and believing. The next time we see Rahab in Hebrews 11.31, by faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after welcoming, showing hospitality, welcoming the, the spies in peace. She was even mentioned by Jesus' half-brother James in his epistle. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received, oh there's our word received, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. If you ask me, Rahab the harlot played her part, didn't she? And it all started when she received the spies and believed the message they brought her. Whatever that message was, whatever they said to her specifically was not recorded, but whatever it was, we knew that she heard about the, the uh, reputation of the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. They probably gave her some good encouraging words of truth as well. She believed that. She received them. She demonstrated hospitality by hiding them, sent those who came to gather them a different direction, and she believed their message. She received and believed. Her fear of God triumphed over her lesser fear of man. We've been talking about that over the last couple weeks. And her actions said that very loud and clear. Rahab's a great example of what Jesus is talking about here. She, she received the messengers by showing hospitality and believed and became a follower of Yahweh. And as a result, will take her share in the heavenly eternal rewards that await those looking for Christ in the regeneration of the Son of Man when he comes in his kingdom and establishes it here on this earth. Isn't that good? Look again at verse 40. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. The reception of the disciples was a reception of Jesus who sent them, was a reception of Yahweh God who sent Jesus, as demonstrated through their hospitality and believing in the message that they were sent. Now, notice. Notice how Jesus expands on this idea in verse 41. In verse 41, he says, he who receives a prophet, 
in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. So here we see Jesus, in essence, saying the same thing twice, just with two different categories. The first is he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet receives a prophet's reward. And secondly, was that he who receives the righteous man in a righteous man's name will receive a righteous man's reward. So the prophet or the righteous man, everything else is the same. So as we saw earlier, earlier the idea of receiving, the idea of receiving is to welcome in a disciple into one's home as a sign of hospitality and to believe in their message. So he who receives a prophet is someone who accepts what a prophet is preaching. And, and by prophet here, it seems to simply imply one who speaks for God. One who is speaking truth for and about God, and in particular, the gospel of the kingdom. And that person who receives the prophet, though not a prophet himself, will receive a prophet's reward, as if he were a prophet. Simply meaning when we aid God's special messengers to accomplish the work he sent them to accomplish, we will share in the reward God has for them as if we had done the labors ourselves. Because in the body of Christ, some are feet, others are heads with mouths, but all are needed to play their part as God has allotted in his redemptive plan of human people in his history. Are you following me? Billy Graham may have gotten all the spotlight, but God knows of every individual who was part of the Billy Graham team from the least to the greatest of them and knows that it took all of them to accomplish the work God called Billy and them to do. And Jesus is saying here that each of them will receive the same rewards in heaven as those laborers done here on earth. Again, Billy may have been the head, but he sure had a lot of feet, didn't he? And a lot of hands and a lot of ears. The same is true for insert your favorite speaking head. Chuck Swindoll. R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, etc., etc., etc. Add in whoever it is, your favorite speaking head, but know for certain that they all need a lot of hands and feet for their ministries to accomplish all that God wanted them to accomplish. Amen? And when they labor and receive a prophet in the name of the prophet, their reward will be as if they were the prophet themselves. Because in the body of Christ, we're all one, we're equal. And whatever you give to serve within the body of Christ for that redemptive plan of history to be accomplished, you will be rewarded as if you were the prophet, the, the guy speaking himself. Oh, I, just, I just move this, or I just move some tables, or set up some chairs. No, listen, whatever you do, all of it comes together because we're one in Christ Jesus. We're a body. We're a body of believers. And this is so important for us to, to understand. Um, and I think this is why it's important that every believer in Christ needs to be committed to a local church and find a way to serve within their local church because of all the things that those local churches, those local body of Christ seek to accomplish for the gospel, each person doing their part 
within the body to bring about that labor of that local body. They will equally share the eternal rewards that come by doing their own part. Isn't that beautiful? I have the privilege of getting up and standing and speaking every week, and it's a great honor indeed. But listen, these that are serving right net back here right now, when we get to glory and we're waiting for Jesus in the regeneration, their rewards are going to be just as fantastic as mine. We share in this ministry together. Isn't that beautiful? The body of Christ functioning as a body. And this is why it's important for each individual member to realize the necessity of whatever part of the body you are that you need to function and play that part. You've got to be a part of the team. Don't hold yourself aloof from a team. We were never intended to be mavericks out there, just maverick Christians running all on our own because it's just me, Jesus, or me and the Holy Spirit in the Bible. We're intended to be a part of a team. And so that's why you, you put your shoulder to a plow with a group of people and you move forward together. What that means is that for every single person in here, within the hearing of this message this morning, God has uniquely gifted you and you need to be shouldering some weight and the load and pushing in a direction for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, in the day of the regeneration, your reward will be just as equal as, if, as, as mine and, cause I, and I have the privilege of standing up and speaking and preaching every week. Amen? Amen? Let's do it. Look again at verse 41. We looked at the prophet. How about the righteous man? Receive a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. By righteous man, it seems that Jesus is referring to any disciple of his who is rightly received and aided in doing the work of gospel ministry for which they have been sent. All who receive such a person receives in the name of or on behalf of or in conjunction with the righteous man, a righteous man's reward. This is how that works. Partnership in ministry is one of God's kingdom ideas as to how he pulls his people together to accomplish greater things together than any individual could do on their own. All for his name and for the building of the kingdom of Christ. And to show you just how significant even the smallest of contributions can be in the big scope of things, Jesus gives us verse 42. Look at verse 42. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. The phrase, in the name of a disciple, is intended to refer to anyone who has taken to themselves the name of a disciple. You've taken to yourself the, the, the name of a disciple. I'm a disciple of Christ. So this whoever here is, is anyone, is everyone who, who serves others in the name of Christ as one of his disciples. Anyone who has identified themselves as being a follower of Jesus is this whoever here in the context. One of these little ones in this passage is a little bit harder to discern. 
little ones. It's a little bit more challenging to discern who these little ones are. Um, Could Jesus here be making a really huge pitch for children's ministry? Absolutely. Why not, right? If the little ones here are children, the wee little ones, and listen, there's nothing absolutely uh, insignificant about giving a cup of cold water to a little one. Okay, so perhaps in this context, some have maybe gone that direction. Little ones, however, could perhaps uh, be referring to little known or lesser known believers. That's one of the options that's out there. I, in particular, like the idea that little ones here contextually um, seems to be referring to those prophets and righteous men who are being received and shown hospitality to. And it might seem awkward or unusual that Jesus might refer to those whom he sent out as little ones, but it does kind of put perspective on, you know, and kind of trims the egos of those who perhaps think that maybe being the head with the big mouth is all that it's meant to be. Well, in Christ's economy, you're just one of his little ones. You're just a doulos, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So contextually, I prefer that option. And again, don't get me wrong, it's good to render aid to all sorts of people, especially children, and we would be those who would be doing that already. But again, in keeping it in the context, it seems to show that the amount of aid rendered to one of God's chosen apostles or prophets or pastors and teachers is what Jesus has in mind here. And if the only aid someone is able to muster and to give is seemingly insignificant from their perspective as a cup of cold water to drink, even that, even that in the eyes of God is worthy of eternal heavenly rewards. They will not lose their reward. Being a part of the team, if all you can muster up to give, remember the widow's might? It's all she had. She gave everything she had. And by comparison, it didn't seem like a lot, but she gave it, right? So even if you feel like you don't have a lot to give, to serve, to get the littlest thing that you can give, it won't go unnoticed in God's eyes. Isn't that encouraging? Encouraging to be a part of the body. Put your shoulder into the, to the, to the weight, to the load. To, and even if it's just a cup of water that lifts the load of some other people's burdens just that much. And we're all in serving the Lord together. And if I'm right here, notice, again, for the last time I made mention of it, these little children. Paul described these little children, if indeed it's, those who are those being received and if what they can give is even just a cold cup of water the apostle paul describes these little children in the epistles in first corinthians 12 28 god has appointed in the church first apostles prophets and teachers and we mentioned he mentioned prophets if you receive a prophet you receive a prophet's reward these disciples were the first ones being sent out so if you receive these disciples and you're rendering aid to them and he also mentioned prophets well The third uh, that Paul then mentions as teachers, and in the book of Ephesians, he gave some as, and here we go again, apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists. He includes these evangelists who get sent out and some as pastors and teachers. And these are given for the equipping of the saints to do the work of service, to the building up, 
to the building up of the body of Christ, right? Amen? So even if, even if the contribution, because I, I feel like I'm maybe just this, the little pinky toe on a foot is just a cup of cold water to give, the Lord wants you to give your cup of cold water. He wants you to be a part of the team and to feel a part of the team and your reward, it says, will not be lost. It won't go unnoticed. Isn't that great news? I think in the, in the economy of the body of Christ, that is very encouraging news indeed. Because oftentimes we're prone to think of ourselves as being less than. Well, I'm not able to do what so-and-so is doing. I can't do this or I can't do that. And, and I think that's just part of the schemes of the devil to keep us from getting engaged. And instead of thinking about what I can't do, I think the Lord just wants it to be what, you know, we need to look at the can-dos. The body of Christ is a list of can-dos. How can you do this? How can you serve here? You know, I say it oftentimes. Go check with Jeff and Erica. They, they have needs within the, within the children's ministry. Check with Seth Daniel, our head of deacons. There's all kinds of things within the facilities. Wherever you think you can part in the role you can play, get connected, serve. We're one body. We're all in this together. And we're all longing and looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if, if this, the preaching of the sermons gets, get broadcast out there and people might say, oh, I've heard your past. Listen, that's meaningless. Just say, yeah, yeah, that's right. But we're, l- l- listen, we're all in this together. We're one. We are one. We are the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. This is the way it's intended to go. We are one body. And as such, if one member suffers... All of us, as members, suffer together with him or her. And if one member in this church is honored, all the members rejoice with it because we share in this together as God's children. So again, don't let anybody keep you from doing your part. Serve Christ's body and share in her eternal rewards. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this encouraging word that Jesus leaves at the end of his instructing of the twelve. Because sometimes we think of those twelve as they are the, they are the uppercase apostles. They're the, they're the big guns. They're the, they write epistles. And sometimes we get enamored by <clears throat> those kinds of things and the magnitude of the ministry of a Billy Graham or etc., etc., whoever it may, may be might we be reminded that you've placed each individual within the body as you have desired and each part has an equal role to play to make all of this come together for the redemptive plan of history of getting the, God, the, the good news of the gospel to the nations. We are all in this together. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, bind our hearts and our, our, our thinking together this way and that we would serve serve you loyally and faithfully looking forward to that time in in the regeneration when you will reward your church richly with your presence it's in christ's name we pray this and everybody said Amen. amen